And this morning we're going to ordain three men into the office uh, of deacon. And uh, so it's very important that I get through uh, this sermon in the appropriate amount of time so I can have you out of here by 12 o'clock. So I'm going to only say one, one uh, thing in terms of introduction. We're going to look at Psalm 33. And Psalm 33 really doesn't make sense without Psalm 32. We looked at Psalm 32 last week. And if you grasp Psalm 32, which we'll speak of in a moment, it really does lead to Psalm 33. So when we come right out of the gates and we read verses 1 through 4 and it speaks of singing praise to God, it's not just something that sounds nice. It's something that begins, begins to happen in our lives. That's why we tie the sermon, why we sing. So let's, let's look at God's Word. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous Praise benefits the uprights. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. And sing to him a new song. And play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of his steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. And he commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. And he frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. King is not saved by his great army. And a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You have revealed yourself to us 
in the scriptures and especially in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would see him this morning. So Lord, open your word. Open my mouth. Open our eyes and our ears. That we might worship you because we understand and grasp the goodness of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. If you're here for the first time, or you've been visiting recently, back in May or so, as I'm thinking about what do I want to do in the fall, try to think a little bit ahead, uh, I decided to preach through the first book of the Psalms, which is Psalm 1 through 41. Uh, As you know, if you've been here for a while, the reason that I'm doing that is because it concerns me often, especially in our tradition called the Reformed tradition, that we understand many things and we gain great knowledge about the gospel. We know the lyrics of the gospel, but are we dancing? Yeah, y'all see that here in our text? Singing? Rejoicing? Or is that just something you do, uh, uh, you know, you come to church and you and hear people sing, and, or, or, or is it actually impacting your life in such a way that actually singing is basically a way and an expression of saying, I make melody with my life unto the Lord and to other people. In our tradition... Uh, and I think one of the great gifts that our, our, the Presbyterians have, what we call the Reformed tradition, if you're kind of new today, the theology of Calvin and Luther, is this great theology. Uh, this ability to think things through because it's a good thing to understand the history of redemption, the nature of redemption, who God is, who Christ is, what He has done on our behalf. I think it's a great gift. And yet, knowledge puffs up. Just to know things. But love edifies. And so as we come to our text today, we see singing. Literally singing. And so here's what I want us to look at in our brief time that we have together in God's Word. If one sees the reality of God truly as the Creator and the Redeemer, but also the Sustainer, like the day in and the day out. You can't help but sing. Now, we sing differently, don't we? Some people have the melody line. Um, I was the youngest of six boys, so I always didn't have the melody line, but I learned how to harmonize. But we're all to sing together as we understand corporately uh, the gospel. And so there are basically three things I want to look at briefly. Uh, And the first is this. uh, We're called to worship God. That's what we're going to see in these first few verses. You're called as a believer in Jesus to worship. And the essence of worship is singing. It's making melody. It's shouting for joy. It's, I can't believe what God has done for me. I spoke to somebody, I think it's this past week, who's been at Redeemer for, I don't know, four or five years, and they think they were converted about six months ago. 
They'd always heard the lyrics, but finally the music came by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. And it's a different person. And they're singing and they're rejoicing and they're no longer cynical because they've seen the goodness of God. But then I want us to see that there's reasons to worship. This psalm gives us lots of reasons to worship and sing. And I, and I can't get into all of them because of, we're, we're limited by time, but I want to see a few of those things. And then finally, yes, and finally for you who are Reformed people, we are to experience worship. There should be joy in our lives. I, I think it, it, no matter what your circumstances are, you shouldn't be imputing onto other people your own despair. Or your own cynicism. But to experience God and to receive Him, you cannot but give it to others. What you receive, you give. Grace and mercy you receive. You give. You just cannot help but do that. And so I ask you this morning, are you singing? Are you rejoicing? Or what do you sing about? And what do you rejoice in? So the first thing to see, pretty clear from our text, is that we're called to worship God. That's why we're here today. Because God is a God that we can know. Christ is risen from the dead. And He's coming back again. And He's given us the Holy Spirit. And He's governing all things whatsoever comes to pass. And so look at what verses 1 through 4 tells us to do here. I'm sorry, verses 1 through 3. So shout for joy to the Lord, O ye righteous... Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to, the, with heart, to him with harp, the harp of ten strings. And sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now a lot of y'all who are coming to Redeemer for the first time, maybe that today's your first time you've ever been into a Presbyterian church. You've, you've heard about Redeemer and what seems to be odd is this, this bulletin here. Or maybe you come from a background that believes that uh, orders of worship can actually be stifling uh, to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but in our order of worship, basically what you have, as it were, is a guide for even if you're not a Christian today, you have a guide in, to understand what we're doing here today. If you're a football fan, you go in, you have a bulletin, you have a program, you understand the rules, their boundaries, their, their goal lines, and there's rules to play. And everybody kind of rejoices together, like last night, because we're all on the same page. So that's kind of why we do this. It's not necessary that you have a, a bulletin, but that's why we do it. And this order of worship is actually about a 500-year-old order of worship. It's called the Genevan worship. And if you notice, if you've been here for a while, we do the same thing every Sunday. There's something beautiful about familiarity. And there are a lot of elements in the worship service. The confession of faith, the confession of sin. Uh, there's, the, uh, there's the preaching of the word. There's the tithes and offering. And there's communion. There's a benediction. There's a lot of elements that are there. But if you notice in your bulletin, the first thing when God calls us to worship is what? To sing a hymn of praise. We begin that way. That makes sense, doesn't it? Let me, let me put it this way. If you go over to somebody's house, and maybe they bought a new house, and maybe they remodeled their house. 
Uh, and you come in the front door, and uh, you say to your host, this is a beautiful house. You don't go, wow, are those hard of pine floors? Uh, how much did you pay for those granite countertops? Where'd you get those? You're not, you, you might get into that later. But the first thing you say is, is you just kind of say how lovely the house is. Uh, if you go on a date, and uh, gentlemen, and your date shows up at the door, and she looks beautiful, and she looks lovely, you don't go, wow, what is that lipstick you have on? What is that perfume? You know, the first thing you're going to say to her, if you have any horse sense, is I want you to know that you look lovely. You look beautiful. Now, I know when I married Mary Beth, um, our marriage, uh, you know, that commitment, that love for one another, and we tease about this all the time, but now that we've been married 37 years, she'll say, I'll tell her I love, love you, I love her, and she says, give me the details. <laughs> but you see, Verse 1 through 3 doesn't make any sense. And the rest of worship doesn't uh, make, uh, make any sense if we're always asking the questions, well, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Um, well, to the person who has come to understand the gospel, who, who begins to see who God is in Jesus Christ, then those answers begin to come. But what you do know is the gospel. I've said this many times, but when the Apostle Paul met Jesus on the, on the way to have Christians murdered, and Jesus shows up, he didn't say, well, hey, I have some questions about your sovereignty. I have some theological questions for you. Christ appears, he's risen, and the, and the Apostle Paul understood that that meant the gospel was true. That everything that he had kicked against is the reality. And so he begins to submit himself to that. Worship should be our first reaction. I'm, I'm just telling you, to, to know God and to grow in the gospel is to kind of be caught up short on a fairly regular basis in praise of God. One of the great gifts to, to the world are artists and writers, poets. And the reason is that God gives them to the church and even to the world to express sometimes these longings that we have in our heart that some of us just don't know how to say. And so they write things like, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation all ye who hear, now draw to his temple near. Praise him in glad adoration. All the hymns, the hymns that we sing, that I hopefully you're singing these hymns on Sunday morning. Not just listening to the sermon, but all these hymns that are hymns of praise and worship to God because they express the longings of the heart. So what does David say? He says, sing praise to him. If that doesn't make sense to you, maybe 
It's because you don't understand who he tells to give praise. Notice what he says in verse 2. As to who is to give praise. I'm I'm sorry, in verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. The righteous. Some of you might say, well, doesn't the Bible say that there's none righteous? No, there's not one that's righteous. But it doesn't say (laughs) self-righteous, does it? It says the righteous rejoice. The righteous sing praise. Not the self-righteous. You know, the Pharisees never praised Jesus, did they? They were enemies of his. Here's the Son of God, and they're always challenging him. They're always rebuking him. In fact, the Pharisees in the church today are not those who praise God for his mercy and his goodness. But you're a Pharisee this morning if you think that God should praise you for all that you've done. That I'm basically a good person. I ask people all the time, how do you know you're going to heaven? They say, well, I'm basically a good person. And I go, well, you basically don't understand anything. There are no good people. There's none in this room who's righteous. So what does he mean here when he speaks of the righteousness, uh, those who are righteous? Well, he's speaking of those who understood chapter 32. And if you were not here last week, chapter 32, the psalmist, David, said, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. There you have it. Who are the righteous? Those who admit that they're unrighteous. Those of you this morning who would be willing to admit that you're self-righteous, that's why there's always this low anger. You think you you have a right to this and you deserve this. You deserve this from your husband or your wife. Or you children think that you deserve better from your parents. So you parents think you deserve better from your children. You see, that never leads to singing. Now, you need to think about this. I have to think about this. I've been challenged by this this week. I mean, the essence of being a Christian is very hard. It's not easy to be a Christian because Christians are to love and to forgive, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Any person can come in here and be moralistic. Give the appearance to other people. But to a person like David who knows he's an adulterer and he's murdered and he's hardened his heart and it took God to send Nathan to bring him to repentance... Then David is able to write Psalm 51. Against you alone have I sinned. Who are the righteous? Those whom Christ has made righteous. Let me say one other thing about this, because a lot of times, you know, if you're, maybe you don't know the Christian lingo. Okay, so, okay, righteous, whatever that means. Let me tell you exactly what it means. The word righteous means to be straight. It means to be right. And so how are we to be 
made righteous. Well, it's through the work of Christ. You see, Jesus is not precious if you don't come to the point where you understand there is no health in your bones. And, you know, this brother I talked to this week, he, he's heard that all his life. But never believed it. Or he believed that he was a sinner, but never really put his trust in Christ. What drove him to that point? I'll tell you what drove him to that point is the only thing that will drive you to that point is the absolute grace of God. The mercy of God. Uh, it's, it's me, oh me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, not my father, not my mother. But it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. In fact, I'll put it this way. There are some of you here at Redeemer who in a way have the right not to forgive somebody, humanly speaking. They've hurt you, they've wounded you, they said things to you, and you've never, you've never let it go. And so you stand as judge and executioner. But you see, to know that God has forgiven you, that there's no debt that you owe anymore, that he's paid the price, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Notice what it says. It does. In verse 3, it leads to a new song. Now, as I looked at this, a new song literally means to be a fresh song. It's not, it's like, a, oh, okay, a, another new song and another new song. No, it's the same hymns. They're the same song, psalms and songs that are made fresh as you understand your need for grace. You know what Lamentation says? Lamentation says, your mercies are new every morning. Grace your faithfulness. Anybody here not need to hear that every single morning from God? After yesterday, what I've done, the things I've said. Listen, I can tell you this was a hard weekend for me. I'll tell you. And I once again was reminded of how my heart can go Bam, just like that. You ever notice that? You can truck along, and then all of a sudden, God in His grace begins to show you exactly how far you are from Him. And so what do you do? Sing a new song. They're meaningful. But that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing uh, to see from this is uh, there are reasons, there are reasons for us to give praise to God. They're called attributes. And there are a lot of attributes in here about God. And what God? Well, the true God, the living God. You, you can't know a God who's not there. You can't know a God who's up there somewhere, but he hasn't revealed himself. But the God who's revealed himself. I know I say this over and over again. If you're an agnostic or maybe you're an atheist and you're here today and maybe your girlfriend brought you or boyfriend or whatever... If, you're, if you have a beef with God, it's this God. Because you see, he has attributes that disturb you. So what is an attribute for you high school students? Y'all know what attributes are. They're characteristics. 
their character traits or their things that, that uh, um, reveal something. If you're an athlete, uh, one of the things that makes uh, Todd Gurley so, uh, such a great athlete is, is his attributes, his physical attributes. He's fast, he's big, he's strong. And when these scouts look for players, they look for players who are big and fast and strong. They're looking for attributes in the athletic department. There are those who are in the admission department here at the University of Georgia. And they're looking at attributes of a student. So if you're in high school, trust me, they're going to look at your grades. And they're going to determine whether they let you in based on your SAT, based on your grades. And it goes right on up the line. If you're going to get married, there need to be attributes that you see in that person. If you're going to live with a person for the rest of your life, you know what you're going to look at? You're going to look at characteristics in that person to determine whether they're loving and faithful and true. Not somebody who's here today and gone tomorrow. A.W. Pink had a huge impact on me when I was a, I was a young believer. I took a lot of liberal theology in college because I was wanting to challenge my faith. I didn't want to give my life to a Christ that wasn't risen. And so they're turning me every way but loose. You know, if God is so good, why is there evil in the world? So God is either good but not powerful or he's all powerful but he's not good because uh, he's capricious. All these questions you have as an 18-year-old trying to really determine whether you want to give your life and set your trajectory to this person who's raised from the dead. And I remember reading A.W. Pink's The Attributes of God. It was a godsend to me. If you've never read it, it's a little thin book. And he talks about the attributes of God. And one of the things that he said in that book that kind of blew my mind, and I want you to think about this just for a moment before we move forward. And that is this. If God... could become any more self-aware being, a saiety. If he could become any more powerful, if he could learn one proposition in the universe, if he could grow in knowledge in any kind of way, if he could grow in love, if he could grow in holiness, just like we are kind of trying to grow and understand, he would cease to be who he is. You see and we see that in a lot of places in this passage. Notice we see that he's truthful. There's one of his attributes. Look at verse 4. Uh, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Everything that God does, even when he created the reason the psalmist has hope in the creation that it's not a scary place is because the created world came from his mouth. And God is true. And everything that he does is faithful and true. And so when he created, the material world is not evil, unlike a lot of religions that teach that. Everything that God made is good, male and female, in his image. Everything that he created is good. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his works are done in faithfulness. You know, what's the point of getting married and taking vows if you're not going to keep them? You ever thought about that? Uh, when, when I do a wedding, I, 
I try to make everybody understand, especially if people have already taken vows, maybe you've taken vows, is that the difference between an oath and a vow is an oath is a promise made to one another. You call God as your witness. But when a vow is made, it is to God himself to whom the vow is made. But if he's not here, what point? Why not just live together? Because, you see, we want people's word to be true. And isn't it devastating? Isn't it devastating that when the people we love and the people we trust, including yourself, when we're not that? Man, I tell you what, when you lie to one another as a, as a spouse, uh, it's going to take a lot, 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 lot to rebuild that. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done. Because what does a wife want in her husband? That he says, honey, I tell you what, I'll be home at five. And if you're going to be late, you call her. Say, I'm going to be late. What, is a, what does a husband want from his wife? That his wife is faithful and true to her word. What do children want from their parents? That my parents don't go to church on Sunday morning and they live a completely different way in this family. They're angry and bitter people. And yet we come in, oh, praise the Lord. Well, they know in, in their back of their minds that this is not true. There's no real redemption this here. Why do we want people to be true? I'm going to tell you is because there is truth. And it's the triune God. That's why we should, that's why we should sing praise. He's faithful. He's true. But notice also that he's powerful. Uh, he's the almighty God. Look at verse 6. Uh, the word of the Lord, uh, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the breath of the mouth uh, of his mouth, all their host. I understand why Hollywood wants to present God as a senile grandfather. I get that. I understand why they want to depict Christians as uh, silly and not accomplished. And the reason being is the thought of an almighty God is a horrifying thought to the unbeliever. But what our text tells us, that God is so powerful that we can't grasp this, but he speaks and the material world comes into existence. Uh, Carl Sagan has said uh, that the the material universe is all that was and is and will be. The transcendent material universe. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's an unbelievable step of faith. But what does the Bible say? That God speaks and the world comes into existence. Now, why is that so important? Well, because God not only recreates, but because the world has fallen and there is evil in the world, the way God recreates is he speaks. You cannot believe apart from God's grace. You will remain dead in your sin if we're not recreated in Jesus Christ. So how does he speak? He speaks through the foolishness of preaching. He speaks through his word, through preachers and through other sinners. But when he speaks and you hear, it's powerful. And then the third thing before we come to our last point, And there's so many attributes that are here. 
not only is he truthful, powerful, but he's also, this word, providential. Now, if you begin to see this in your day in and day out, and I talk to people all the time, they have a hard time not doing categories. Okay, I go to church on Sunday, but other than that, everything is coincidence. Everything is coincidence. Let me tell you, do you believe that the spiral of a football, the way it bounces, has anything to do with God's sovereignty? Or is it just a game? Well, notice what he says here in verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. He blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. You see, God has made decrees from the, from the beginning to the end, and God's providence is the carrying out of those plans. You know why you're here today? It's because God planned it. You wouldn't be here today if, if we had not come here and started a church 18 years ago. You'd be somewhere else. So even the things that you do, the things that you plan, they fit in the context of choices you didn't have because they're absolutely by God's sovereign design. Is it a mystery? Of course it is a mystery. Psalmists believe it. It's funny how we trust in Democrats and Republicans and independents. In fact, we trust in horses, don't we, as he speaks of later. We, 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 we trust in America's military might. And then the D- Democrats think that the Republicans are the problems, and the Republicans think the Democrats are the problems. And the fact of the matter is, our text says that God raises kings up and he takes them down. And God is involved in every detail of our life. If you notice in verse 18, it says, the eye of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in a steadfast love. Um, you know, the eye of the Lord is either a, a very much an encouraging, comforted thing, you know. Hey, Jesus says, my eye is on the sparrow. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that my Father in Heaven doesn't know about it. You know why some of you have cancer now and some of you have things that you'll have to deal with the rest of your life, whether it's health problem or emotional, mental problem. Do you understand that it's because God and His love is at work in your life? Do you really believe that? Because it's exactly what Jesus says. And the eye of the Lord to the believer is one that causes you to constantly sing a new song, I'm rejoicing because you are here with me in good and in bad. If you're not a Christian, the eye of the Lord is a frightening thing. Why? Because you don't know Christ is for you. Christ will cover you. Now, one last thing uh, to see in our text before we come to ordination service. The call to worship of the living God, the reason for worship, and I could give you so many more, but notice the experience of worship. Worship is not believing a lot of things. Worship is responding. Now, where do you see that? Notice in verses uh, 20 through 22. There's kind of a therefore to all this. Our soul waits for the Lord. Uh, He is our hope and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Because we trust in his holy name. 
Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. You know, let me, let me, let me close by telling you something I taught our men on Thursday night as we're going through the psalm. I mean, you see here where it's waiting upon the Lord, uh, trusting in the Lord, knowing the, the Hesseth love of God. Well, I said that all of life as a Christian, if you're going to live the life of wisdom, it begins on whether you believe the gospel. Whether you have this great hope in the work of Christ on your behalf. And it's like a path that you walk down, these choices that you make throughout your life that begin to build and build and build, and you're making the small choices of believing the gospel that lead to the great choices that you're able to stand in that day. Or you set your trajectory a different way, and you believe all this stuff, but functionally, you don't trust. I mean, you believe, but functionally, you trust in money, uh, in circumstances, and then when life hits you, and you haven't been growing in wisdom, and life hits you, then all of a sudden, your understanding is all clouded, and you begin to panic. Why? Because you're a functional, you're a, you're a believer, but you, you functionally trust in all these other things. This psalm's not going to make any sense, ladies and gentlemen, until you wait upon the Lord and you rest upon Him and you trust in Him. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that you do business right. It means you do your relationships right. You don't justify sexual immorality as a Christian. Uh, It means that uh, you repent on a regular basis. That's what it means. To trust him. You know why you can trust him? Because it says in that last verse, because of his hesed love, his faithful covenantal love. Hey, we're covenant breakers. Y'all got that? But he's a covenant keeping God. He's good and he's great. Let's pray together.